Well, please have your Bible open in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 as we pick up Paul's letter at verse 11. And the title of this message this morning is what we see in the Apostle Paul that he demonstrates so clearly for us. He is a man who has a heart and mind for God's people. And so should we all. And Paul is a great example to us in this passage. Uh, Not that Paul is a man who someone else has somehow put under the cosh and that he is being bullied into being the kind of man that he is. But this is the fruit of the Spirit of God and Christ at work in him. And what I'm going to speak about this morning is something which is the fruit of the Spirit of God and Christ in the life of every Christian. Having a heart and a mind for God's people because you belong to Christ. Well, as you know, Paul has had this um, ongoing defense of his ministry in this letter. And he's drawing that aspect of it to a close to some degree now in this final section of chapter 12. But he wants to point out to the Corinthian believers, first of all, that in terms of their doubting his credentials as an apostle, and in terms of them believing the things that have been said about him, they are actually without excuse They're without excuse when it comes to recognising that the Apostle Paul is a genuine minister of the gospel. Now, with the opening words of verse 11, Paul's dismay at having to employ the kind of argument that he's been using since the beginning of chapter 11 is evident. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. I've been forced into this type of argument He doesn't expect to have to resort to such things with an assembly of God's people. And especially those who have been carefully taught the doctrines of the gospel. But as we've seen, it just goes to show that no matter what kind of spiritual pedigree a church might have, that is no guarantee that that church will never be taken in by error. The validity of Paul's ministry should have been obvious to them all. There should never have been any doubts in their mind regarding his genuineness. They had no grounds whatsoever not to have immediately jumped to Paul's defence. The basis of all this is very important to keep in mind as Paul points out in the second half of verse 11. The apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ were a unique group of men. He says, I... In in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Now, the apostles that the Lord Jesus chose were quite a rum bunch. They included uneducated fishermen. They included a despised tax collector, Matthew. And then finally, in Paul, a highly educated former Pharisee. It really doesn't get more diverse than that this group of men that Christ chose. But all of them have one thing in common, which is that Christ specifically chose them 
and specifically appointed them and in so doing equipped and gifted them for their very special ministry as those who would lay the foundation for the early church and for every church that's followed since. They were very different from each other in character and temperament. You read through the Gospels and come across uh, some of the disciples as they were then known and you, you see their character, their temperaments, their personalities and yet each of them by this point had common traits of apostolic authority and they had them in equal measure. Paul was every inch an apostle although not one of the original 12. He was equal in apostleship to James and Peter and John or any of the other nine. But, he can still say, yet I am nothing. In other words, you see, everything that you see in me, says Paul, as one of these set-aside ones by Christ, everything that you see in me has only one origin and one explanation. All of it was the purpose and work of Christ. Nothing of me. And on that basis, I am nothing. There was nothing about Paul which deserved or merited his selection as an apostle. There is nothing about being an apostle in which he can boast because none of it was his doing. It was all of God in Christ. There were no prior achievements that commended him. Indeed, we'd be forgiven for thinking that Paul's previous track record would have disqualified him. Even he was amazed that it hadn't. There was no assessment or examination that he'd successfully completed. I am nothing. He wrote previously in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So it is Paul, but it isn't Paul. It's Christ in Paul. Now it's worth saying at this point of course that these same principles apply to anyone who has ever been saved. All Christian believers are called, chosen and appointed by Christ without any qualification of your own. Indeed, just as Paul was defiant in his objection to the gospel and was actively opposed to it so too were all of we in our sins. And like Paul, every Christian must say, I am not worthy to be called a child of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because his grace toward me was not in vain. And it's all of Christ. And that's what we share in common with him. Now these early apostles, they were equipped and gifted with great power by the Holy Spirit. They had the ability to preach in other languages that they'd never heard before or learned before, just like on the day of Pentecost. 
when all of these foreign visitors in Jerusalem were hearing one of the disciples speaking in their language, proclaiming the gospel in their language, also called speaking in tongues and very different to what is claimed to be speaking in tongues today. They had the ability to heal the sick. They had the ability to raise the dead, just as Jesus had done. They also received special divine revelation from God, some of which has been inscripturated, which means it's been written down and it's been preserved and it is to be received and read as holy scripture. Now these things were unique to the New Testament apostles. They were given as authenticating signs of their apostleship, which is why Paul refers to them as signs of apostleship. The signs of an apostle, wonders and mighty deeds done amongst you at the hands of the apostles. Now it does need to be said, there are a few references in the New Testament where the apostles laid hands on others carefully selected and these others were likewise equipped. But only the apostles ever performed that laying on of hands. Those on whom hands had been laid, we never find an occasion when they went to a, a third and a fourth and a fifth and it kind of filtered down. It was only of the apostles who laid hands on people and conferred these things upon others. But Paul says, you saw these authenticating signs in me as I laboured and as I persevered in the gospel amongst you. And you have no excuse for having doubted me. And in saying these things, uh, Paul gives us some very helpful instruction as to how we are to receive him today as an apostle and what our views of these apostles need to be. And so Paul is saying, when placed alongside all the other churches that have been established in the last two decades or so, you Corinthians have lacked nothing. You've had all the same spiritual benefits and advantages and experiences and teaching that all the other churches have had. There's been no difference whatsoever. Oh, sorry, he says. Yes, there was one thing that you lacked. There was just one thing that didn't happen. I didn't take any money off you for my personal support. I did it all for free. Sorry to have wronged you in that way. A little bit more irony from Paul. Do please forgive me. For not having charged you. Christian churches have no excuse for being taken in by false teachers. It happens. It happens far too often, but they have no excuse. In the Bible, you have all the truth you need in order to identify teaching that is not the truth. And you also have warning after warning about how false teachers operate and how gullible and vulnerable 
churches can be. So just as the Corinthian church are without excuse, so is every church when it comes to being taken in by false teaching. And having raised the issue of not being burdensome, Paul now runs a little bit further with that particular thought. And he does that in verses 14 to 18. And he talks about this issue of the Corinthian church having been without burden. They're without excuse in understanding who Paul is and what his ministry was. And a significant part of his ministry is that when he came to them, he made sure that they were without burden. He wasn't a burden to them. Now, Paul says that he hopes to visit them again. And that once more, he will not request or expect any type of support. Now, do remember that elsewhere, Paul teaches very strongly that ordinarily, those who give themselves to full-time ministry ought to be supported by the churches that they're ministering to and amongst. But Paul is a man who frequently refused to claim things that he actually had every right to claim, but he didn't. And he usually did that for the sake of the gospel, and he did that for the sake of Christian believers. He had every right to expect the Corinthian church to support him as a full-time minister of the gospel, but he didn't. Of course, the fact that he was a single man without any dependents probably made that easier for him. But you see, Paul is saying, I'm not in this, verse 14, for what I can get out of it from you. I'm actually in this for what I can give to you. I only seek your spiritual good and nothing else. That's the whole point of my ministry to you. Now, it's the role of parents to give and sacrifice for their children. Speaking here of children when they're young and when they're dependent upon mum and dad. We accept, of course, that those roles do sometimes change later in life. Uh, when children themselves have grown and become independent adults, and as parents become more elderly, well, there does become a time in life when children maybe have to look after their parents. But when children are young, it's the parents who look after the children. When children are children, it ought not to be the children who are sacrificing for their parents. It doesn't work that way. Interestingly, on that point that Paul makes, I wonder how often is that the problem in today's society? That parents are actually forcing their children to sacrifice for them. Buying children off by lavishing all of this world's goods upon them while dad chases his beloved career and mum and dad together seek all the trappings of success that this world can give. And that is not the same as sacrificing for their children. And very often the children themselves know the difference between the two, don't they? Parents make provision for their children. Children don't make provision for their parents. I was amongst you like a parent sacrificially making provision for you, says Paul. 
Now the first half of verse 15 is worth pausing over. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Now in that little phrase is a huge insight into the heart and mind of Paul and of his attitude towards Christian believers. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will sacrifice. I will forego much. I will give up much. I will do without much. I will abandon much for your souls. And I'll do so gladly without the hintest, the, the slightest hint of reluctance or regret. For your souls, I'll do it. Now, I don't know how it is for you, but I've been blessed to have people like that in my life. And I hope that I can likewise, in some measure, do that for others. I'm blessed and encouraged to see people in our own fellowship a bit like this, you know. Working long hours through the week, sometimes with hectic, busy family responsibilities themselves as well. And yet they give and give of time and energy for the life and witness of this fellowship. And I look out from the pulpit Sunday by Sunday, morning and evening, and you're there. Great encouragement, you know. Does my soul good? I'm sure it does the souls of others good as well. I bow my head to hear the prayers of God's people each Wednesday evening. And almost always, their voice will be heard. If I looked in on BBB or Impact or the children's classes on a Sunday, very often at one or more of those things, I would see their face. When the list goes out for Workers for Holiday Bible Club, I know that unless something quite significant hinders them, their name will be on it. And for some of them, we go knocking on the doors in the summer months. And there they are once more at my side. Spending and being spent. That's what it's about, you see, if you're in Christ. Now, not everyone, for very legitimate reason, reasons, can manage to do all of those things. Some have duties of care for young, for old, for the vulnerable. You must see to those things. You can't abandon them. Your own gifting and aptitude plays a part in what you can and can't get involved in wholeheartedly. We understand all of that. Others, maybe due to ill health, maybe due to the onset of older age, well, you're slowing down a bit. These are the realities. The question is, are you maybe one of those who too often, with no good reason, are absent?
or nearly always absent. And the question is, if that is the case, is it because you're someone who refuses to lay things up for the church? You refuse to spend and be spent for the good of God's people. Maybe you're just busy spending and being spent on yourself. And you're just not prepared to even try to spend time spending yourself on the church. When you face life's big decisions, things like the job you'll do, where you'll live, what standard of living you want to set for yourself, and accordingly how much time and money and energy that will all take, there's an important question that you should always ask. In this decision, what effect will this have on my spending and being spent for the good of the church? Because that's the heart of the Apostle Paul. And he's not under the cosh to be like this. He's not being bullied to be like this. And I'm not trying to bully anyone to be like this. What I'm doing is laying before you the example of an apostle. And I lay before myself the example of an apostle. And I say that's what the heart and mind of a servant of Christ looks like. What about you? And what about me? Now, for those of you who do very actively take opportunities to be of benefit for others, you'll also often find something that Paul also discovered to be true, which is this. You won't get back from others as much as you give to them. Paul found that repeatedly. I'm loving you more and more, but you're loving me less and less. But it didn't stop him loving Now, Paul is saying here that even though he knows that they will love him less, he will still spend himself gladly for their souls. That's the heart of the man. Because he's not in this for him. He's in it for them. We just sang, each other's needs to prefer. And herein lies something which can be a big threat for any church. Members who want and expect to get more out of church than they're ready to put into it. It's a consumer-based notion that the church is primarily a resource centre from which I take. And I take what I feel, what I need, rather than seeing it as a family to which I belong and of which I'm a member, and into which I must pour myself, and to which I must give myself. That's what Paul demonstrates for us. That was his heart and his mind 
towards God's people and towards local churches. And not being like that, alongside that runs the danger that I want everything to function in the church as best suits me and my preferences. Rather than looking to everybody else and saying, now what would best suit them? What would he prefer? What would, what would she prefer? This would really, they would think this is absolutely fantastic. And everything is about everyone else and not about me. And Paul is demonstrating for us in these few words, but he opens up such a big theme and he demonstrates for us that which produces spiritually healthy churches filled with spiritually healthy people. If you want to be a spiritually healthy member of a spiritually healthy church, take Paul's example seriously. Because that's what it looks like. And Paul adds one final little spiritual dig in the ribs for the Corinthians in verse 16. Sometimes we do need that spiritually, don't we? A little dig in the ribs. And they get it in verse 16. He says, Be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by being cunning. And he just makes a very final little point on that little section. Sometimes... There needs to be something in a sermon that makes people want to shout out, hey, that's me you're talking about. You're having a go at me. And sometimes the reply has to be, yes, and do something about it. Because <laughs> they need a dig in the ribs. And that's what the, the Corinthian church needed, a dig in the ribs. Now, we've seen already that Paul didn't follow the expected pattern of receiving money from the church. And that's what he's been talking about by not burdening them. Part of the folly of the false teachers that the Corinthians have imbibed for themselves is this idea that the proof of a man's worth as a preacher is seen in how much the church are willing to pay him. I was crafty, says Paul. I caught you out. I cost you nothing. They're saying that means I'm useless. But I still claimed you for Christ. And God worked through me. And I caught you for Christ. In that position where apparently I'm worthless. But I got you. I got you. And Paul makes the point that he's never once taken advantage of the Corinthian church. Never once. Everything about my ministry has been for your benefit and for your good. And he says in verses 17 to 18, all the others who I sent to minister to you were exactly the same. They were exactly the same. Now that tells us something about the men that Paul chose and trained to work alongside him in gospel work. Now, if you're with us on Wednesday evenings, we'll see more of this as we progress through 1 and 2 Timothy in that series. Paul has found 
in Timothy, as we're going through that book on Wednesdays, in Timothy, a man who'll be faithful and reliable to follow in his own footsteps and adopt the same patterns and principles for ministry that Paul uses and use the same values and practices in ministry that Paul uses. And Timothy is charged to commit all these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, a third generation of gospel ministers who will follow in the apostles' footsteps, and so on, and so on, and so on, until eventually we reach the year 2019, and with the scriptures open before us, we are without excuse if we become guilty of breaking that pattern. We're without excuse if we break that pattern. And our ministering to one another within the body of Christ is to be without burden, spending and being spent, loving more abundantly, even if we are loved less in return. So what? I will gladly sacrifice. I will gladly forego much. I will gladly give up much. I will gladly do without much. I will gladly abandon much for you. That's the pattern and example that Paul leaves us. And I'll do it without the slightest hint of reluctance or regret. That's the challenge for us. To be a vibrant, biblical, spiritually healthy church. You see, the thing about Paul is that he has the highest regard for Christian believers. The highest regard The kinds of words of criticism that perhaps too easily flow from our lips about other fellow members of the church, the ease with which we find ourselves talking about what we see as failings and weaknesses in other members of the church, that kind of talk you would never hear from the, the apostles' lips. Talking people down instead of talking them up that kind of language would bring a stinging rebuke from Paul if he were amongst us and heard that kind of thing. How dare you speak of one for whom Christ died like that? How dare you have such a derogatory attitude towards a believer, Paul would say, because he had the highest regard for all who were Christ's. And then one final point from this passage before we close. We've seen without excuse. We've seen without burden. And finally, without repentance. In the closing verses from verse 19. Now, verse 19, Paul, re Paul reminds us of something which is so significant. If you've ever watched wildlife programs on the TV you'll know that they nowadays have various kinds of cameras that can be employed to produce a variety of images. They have normal optical cameras, of course, although even those are pretty spectacular nowadays. But they also have cameras that can see in the dark using ultraviolet light. They have cameras which capture images according to thermal heat registrations and produce an image just from heat, would you believe? It's remarkable. Suppose you had a camera that you can point at a person and that camera can detect all your thoughts and all your motives. And on the screen, 
there's an optical camera and it's going to follow you 24 hours a day from the, for the next week till we all come back next Sunday. And everything that happens to you will be on the screen. But the other camera that's able to read all of your thoughts and all of your motives, all of those come up as subtitles underneath across the bottom. And we hear you say something and then the subtitles come up. Will it be the same? Or will they be very different? Paul can confidently say, we speak before God in Christ. Perhaps you think, I just stand and say what I think you want to hear. No. Maybe you think I just stand here with a good sounding argument that I think will win you over. No. God knows that everything I have said is the truth. I stand before God and speak to you in Christ. One of the things that made such a difference in Paul's life One of the things that made such a difference in his attitude towards the church and to fellow believers is that he had this constant awareness that the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-hearing God was with him in every thought, every motive, every spoken word, and every action. God is hearing everything God is looking into my heart and seeing everything and Paul's conscience is clear how's yours how's mine here in Paul is a man who understands that he lives his life before God and he does so because he is now in union with Christ And all of his life now is regulated by that. This is the kind of life that being in Christ produces. Is this how God expects me in Christ to think? To speak? To behave? And Paul can say in a good conscience that all he has ever wanted for them is their edification. And everything, everything that he has prayed, everything that he has done, everything that he has ever spoken has been for their spiritual good. And his great burden, his great heartache, that deep concern that he has for the churches that he spoke about back in verse 28 of chapter 11, his deep concern is that they may not have changed because they may not have repented. That's verse 21. And all manner of sinful and wrong attitudes may still be evident when he visits next. And this is the huge burden that he, that he lays before them, that you are still without repentance. Now, it may well be that when you read verses 20 and 21... 
and you see there that he says amongst them there's things like contentions and outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions and whisperings, gossip, tumults, uncleanness, fornication, lewdness. You look at those kinds of things and you think to yourself, well, that's not me. Well, good for you. But what about pride? What about a self-righteous spirit that's just said, well, that's not me? What about things in your life that are idols because they get what God should be getting? What about covetousness? What about love of money? What about a smug contempt for other Christians? What about a critical spirit? This passage teaches us so much about what it truly means to have a heart and mind for God's people. Because it means you're someone who lives before God in Christ. To very gladly spend and be spent for the good of the Lord's people. Not to receive, doesn't worry me in the slightest, but to give. To love more abundantly. To do all things, not with regard for myself, but to edify you. And to do it before God in Christ. Well, may the Lord help us to be more like Paul as we follow our Saviour.